Amen. Thank you, Andy. Well, it's great to see you, and uh, while the kids are still going out, fabulous. How many of you know that first impressions are really important? You know, if you're doing any public speaking, how you start's important, but when you meet people, the first impression that you make of them can sometimes be a defining one. Quite, very difficult to, to get rid of that. You know, sometimes when you're or when you, if you're going into business training or anything like that, you're taught sometimes how to make handshakes even, to get the right angle, not too, not too tilted this way so you don't appear too domineering, not too firm so you don't crush somebody's hand, not too weak and limp so you don't look pathetic. You know that. Uh, uh, first impressions are really, really important. And it's the same when you, you go to the cinema, you watch a film. You know, if you're kind of not captivated in the first few minutes, then, then you kind of feel, what's the point of being here? And all of us will have been to films that were great for the first three or four minutes, and the rest of it was rubbish. You know, all the best bits are in the first few minutes, and the rest of it's just an anticlimax. Some of you will have even seen trailers where you sit and you watch a trailer and you think, that looks fabulous. I'm going to go and see that. And you realize, sitting through hours of the film, that all the best bits were in the trailer. Yeah? You done that? Most books that you read have a punchy start to get you into them. They, they help you really get to grips with what the book's going to be about. They set it up with excitement, particularly if it's a thriller or a suspense. There's usually a fairly sort of exciting scene to kick things off. Well, I'm, I'm going to read from a passage of the Bible that, um, if we could have the screen up, Obi, please. We're looking, for a theme, looking at the theme of encountering God at Christmas. And particularly today, we're looking at the theme of God having a plan, that there's one who has a plan. And... Uh, I want to read from Matthew's Gospel. Now, when it comes to making a good impression and, and making a good first impression, Matthew didn't get the memo. Mark's Gospel, when you're reading it, starts, bang, straight in. Luke's Gospel sets the scene a little bit. John's Gospel does the whole big in. The beginning was the... Wow! You've got Hans Zimmer music in the background. It's just, you know, very impressive. Matthew, on the other hand starts like this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of the Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of... Do you want me to carry on? How are we doing so far? It's good? You enjoying it? How many of you, you know, love just getting... You get to Chronicles in your Bible reading plan, and you're like, get in, I've made it. I've got to Chronicles, come on! I've got four chapters of names to get through. It's just, just awesome, isn't it? Uh, and he goes through. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. David, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And so on, and so on, and so on. And finally, down to verse 16, which says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, who's called the Messiah. Interesting passage. Somehow, Matthew just didn't get the, the message about starting with a bang for our attention, but he's not writing for us. He's writing for an audience for whom this would have been pretty outstanding, actually. And we look at a few points about this this passage before we dive into it uh, and look at the principles about God having a plan. Just to encourage you, this, when you're reading lists like this in your Bible, just 
pause and think about a faith that's been passed on from generation to generation to generation. This is important. It's important because it's showing that our faith is communicated from one generation to the next, and then from one generation to the next. And yes, each generation, we, we try and tell the message as broadly as possible, but, but also there's a responsibility for one generation to tell another. Our kids have just gone out, and, and Andy pointed out how exciting it is, that, or how excited they are. And it just highlights the importance of investing in the next generation. Most of them aren't here, but I want to honor our kids' workers who work with our children. If you're not yet already, get involved. It's exciting. It's exciting to be able to pass on the faith that you have to another generation to say, this is how awesome Jesus is. It's, it's vital, to what, not to what we're doing, but it's vital to their lives that they have a good grasp and it's really exciting. So that's important. Uh, secondly, the, the other thing that's really important that we miss is that these lists were important for Israel. And we don't quite get this because we don't work in the same way. You see, Israel was structured around tribes. We get to Jacob, and Jacob has sons. Uh, and those sons form the tribes of Israel. And it's important if you're descended from someone, descended from someone, descended from someone, that you can trace it back so that you know what tribe you're part of. It's a story in the book of Ezra when a group of folk wanted to be part of what God was doing, and wanted to be part of the priesthood, and they come and they check the records, and they can't find their family record. They can't find the list, and so they're excluded from serving, not because they're bad people, but because they just can't trace it back. If you're Jewish, these lists are important because they prove your ancestry. But, but for us, and for Matthew, the most important point is in the first verse. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. This, for Matthew, is all about Jesus. He's saying, in that very first verse, he's the son of David, the son of Abraham. Not literally the son, but using the Hebrew kind of sense that he's following after. He's a descendant of descendant of David, the king, the archetypal king, the one who sets the pattern, if you like, on how to have a heart after God and how to rule the people, doesn't get everything right by any means. But David, the the king, the one in whose line it was promised the Messiah would come, and also a son of Abraham, the father of the whole of the faith. This is what Matthew's doing. He's proving the, the lineage, if you like, of Jesus from through David and then back eventually to Abraham. It's a little bit like the Jesus, who do you think you are? You know, tracing it back and back and back as far as you can. I want to just make some really, really simple points today. Because I think God is speaking to us and I think he's doing so simply to make a very clear point. Firstly, it's this, God has a plan. He has a plan. You know, you might have wondered this year, if you've watched the news, because it's been a weird year, hasn't it, so far? Some stuff happening that you couldn't predict and, and, and all sorts of stuff going on. It's been a bit, a bit of an unusual year, but I just want to say God has a plan. God hasn't forgotten his people. You know, this, <laughs> this book, Matthew, it's the first of the New Testament. It's the, when, when the New Testament was arranged, this is the book that was chosen to go first. Interesting, isn't it? You know, you'd have thought that after 400 years between the end of the last book, Malachi, and the beginning of the next one, there'd be something more punchy to start with. But it's a list of names, and it's important because it's showing that God has a plan. 
that though there's been silence for those years, though, though prophetically there's not been a lot going on, there's no books written and added to our Bible, other books written, yes, but not ones that made it into here, God still has a plan. He's not forgotten his people. That The plan that started thousands of years ago with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and continued to David is still worked out through his people. Each generation playing its part. Each generation telling its story and being part of God's great story. And we get to Jesus, of course, the end of the story. Uh, secondly, I want us to see this, that God still has a plan. You know, believing that God has a plan is all right when things are going well, isn't it? You know, if you, if you walk in somewhere and just it's going well. You know, the time when uh, some of you have had this, this can sound like a facetious story, but some of you have had these stories in your own lives when maybe you've been short on cash and you've just cried out and you've got, I don't know how we're going to get through and you've discovered that someone's put a fiver through in an envelope and shoved it through your door or more significant than that. You know, I've heard stories of people providing food when food has been needed, when they've had nothing and God has provided. And in those moments, it's quite easy to see God's got a plan. He's got it all in control. But there are other times when you come up against things and you think, God, what are you doing? Do you still have a plan? And if you do, where's it gone? Because I was so convinced a minute ago, but, or a year ago, or two years ago, or ten years ago, but right now I'm struggling to see it. And I've left that verse on the bottom of the screen on purpose. It simply says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob. You see, God spoke to Abram, who became Abraham, and he revealed something of his purpose. He said, go, leave this place, and go to the land I, sh- I will show you. And the Bible goes on to explain in Genesis 12 that Abraham left the place he was in, packed up his stuff, moved house, and went. God's got a plan. We're on the adventure. We're setting out. Some of you have done that. In response to a word from God, you've gone where God has told you to go. It's exciting. It's slightly terrifying because you're not quite sure what you're going to expect, but God's with you, so hey, it's going to be okay, isn't it? The Bible goes on to tell us that when Abraham gets to the land that God has promised him, there's a famine in the land. Genesis 12, you can read it yourselves. God speaks, says, go to the land, I'll show you. He gets there, and it isn't what he was expecting. There's a famine. And the very land of promise, the very place that God has told him to go to, is the place he can't live in because there's a famine. And so he has to travel on through the land that God is promising and and arrive in Egypt, which is going to become a place of provision for him. He goes from the place that he used to be in through the land of promise into what was a place of provision, which wasn't where he was expecting to go. What do you do when you're standing in the land and it looks like there's a famine? You hold on to the thought that God still has a plan. The God that got you this far still has a plan and he's not letting go right right now. In fact, he's not letting go ever because he's got a plan and he's working it out for us. When it looks like God's forgotten, he hasn't. And the plan ends with Jesus. Let me just show you something interesting, I think, in this. The last verse says this, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, who's called the Messiah. This, this whole thing is about Jesus. 
This whole thing from beginning to end is a story of God's plan unfolding that God still is working out. And, and actually, God is the plan. The plan is good. The plan is for God to reveal himself, for God to appear. The plan is because the world's in a mess. And God is saying, I'm it. I'm going to come and provide myself. I'm going to be the Messiah, the promised one. The, the Messiah is the, the one who's going to redeem his people. He's, he's the person of promise. He's the one that is the plan, and, and Jesus is it. He's the one to redeem his people. I don't want to say too much because we're not at Christmas yet. I don't want to give, a, give the game away, but Jesus is the plan. I'll leave it there, and you can kind of build up in anticipation, wondering what Christmas is all about for the next week or two. Um, some of you have a favorite passage of Scripture, and it's this one. And we're not worried about the fact that this is taken out of context and all the rest of it, and it's not written for you, it's written for Israel, because God can speak and he can reuse scripture. It's written for someone else and can reapply it to another circumstance, so don't worry about that. But this says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. How many of you have ever been encouraged by that verse in the past? Quite a few of you, okay. Good, a lot of you. And, and I think we're tapping into something here when, when we haven't got a clue what's going on. And it's great to know that God has. And most of the time, this is applied in terms of detail. So we look ahead and we go, okay, that means that God's got the details sorted. And I believe he has. But I'm not sure that's... I think, I think we can see something more profound in this passage than, than I've seen before. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Well, let's have a look and see what those plans are, shall we, as we read on. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I think sometimes we ask the wrong question. We ask, God, what's your plan? When actually, the question is, God, who is your plan? Because it's him. God is the plan. God is the plan in Jesus. He provides Jesus to save us from our sin. But look at this passage here. For I know the plans I have for you. What are those plans? We're waiting to see, God, should I move here or here or here or here? What should I do? Should I get in a relationship with this person or end that friendship? Or should I take that job or not? God, what should I do? And God says this. Then you'll call on me and come and pray to me and I'll listen to you. This is my plan. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I'll be found by you, declares the Lord. Yes, God's got the details sorted. Yes, God can give you direction. But actually, at the core of his plan is himself. The best bit of God's plan that you can possibly get into is him. Not the detail. Not the worrying about the next decision. God will give guidance and God will direct you. But not without you first knowing him. Without that, the rest is just detail. Without us really getting to grips with who God is and coming to know him, we, we miss it because we're, we're busy wondering what choice to make and actually the only choice that matters is about us coming to God. It really is. God is the plan. He's always been the plan. Also, it's, I'm just slightly, slightly digressing, but on this point of God being the plan, Jesus has a rich young ruler come to him at one point 
rich young man who comes and says, teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, eventually says, one thing you lack. One thing. And then he gives him three things to do. Go and take what you have, sell it all, give it to the poor, and come back, follow me. One thing you lack, and here's three things to do. Actually, the only thing he lacked was God. The only thing he lacked was a personal relationship and faith in God, a trust in God. He, he came looking for a plan. He came looking for what do I need to do? What's the fix? What's next? What's, what's on your agenda? How do I please you? And actually, he just needed God. He just needed to come and get on his knees and say, nothing else matters. I want you. And my prayer for us is that we might encounter God this Christmas, every single one of us, because I believe God's calling us to a fresh encounter. I believe he's calling us to fresh revelation, and some of us have done this for year after year after year, but I believe God's calling us to him, because he's the plan, not just for the first time, not just for salvation, not just for you to put a hand up in a meeting and say, do you know what, I recognize, I get it, for the first time I see that I need Jesus, but for all of us to come and recognize that he is the plan for us. And that plan involves us. God's plan of salvation, God's plan of revealing himself involves you and it involves me. You know, I've discovered, as you will have done, that some of us at times rule God out and rule out his plans. You know, there's plenty of people who are hostile to God and hostile to his plans. There are others who are disinterested. There are some who are disillusioned. But there are others who make themselves distant and make God distant. And it's that I want to address today. Not the hostile or the disinterested or the disillusioned, but the distant. You see, I think for many of us, we know that God has a plan. We know that God is great. We know that he came to save the world, and he calls us to be part of it, but we're just busy. It's just, just, just God does not understand. We've got stuff to do. We've got pressure. We've got presents to wrap and trees to decorate and, and people to see and work to do and, and, oh, it's piling up and I've got emails to get through. If only, Jesus, can't you see my inbox? Now, I know you've got a plan to be getting on with and I know it's about you, but can't you just see? There's so much. I've got to keep up with my Facebook stuff and like things. I'm busy. I've got TV programs stacked up to watch. I've got work pressing in on me. I've got things I don't know about, things I can't understand and all these decisions to make. And God, your plan, just just shove it for a day. Give me some space. None of us would ever say that, would we? We We just kind of pretend that God's not there. And we pretend that he's not calling to us. We pretend that deep isn't calling to deep. And that there isn't actually a resonance within us every time we hear God say, come. Come back. Come. Come back. We, we just try and fill our lives with the stuff that's going on. Now, YWAM, youth with a mission. Youth without a mattress. Young women after men, depending on what, how you want to use those, the acronym. As I was growing up and part of a youth group years ago, we, we had good relationships with lots of folk from YWAM, so I got involved a bit in what they were doing. They have a simple, simple uh, purpose statement, which is to know God and make him known. 
That's it. To know God and make him known. And that's our calling. That's God's plan. That we might know him and that we might make him known. And even that feels too much for us often. Because we've got too much on. Our work, our family, our leisure, our worries, we're busy. You know, and I've discovered this, that as life goes on, it doesn't get calmer. Anybody else noticed? Anybody else thought that you could put something to the future and say, when, when I get a quiet day, I'll do this. How many of you know the quiet day is never coming? Yeah, it ain't. We've got to carve out space and quietness now because it isn't coming tomorrow. I'm looking forward to that bit between Christmas and New Year because I'm going to take a couple of days off and I'm going to enjoy that and, and relax. And, but we can't live for a couple of days. You can't live for a holiday. You can't live for the break and, and just hope that suddenly you can be refreshed and renewed because and, it's not enough. And I'm not just talking about rest and work patterns. I'm talking about that God's plan for us to engage with him intimately and, and know him and be with him. You and I, we, we need this. Because there's nothing greater than living in God's promise, living called and knowing him and making him, him known. You know, sometimes as we look at a list of names like this, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, so on, sometimes we're not ruling God out, we're ruling ourselves out. Because we look down this list and there are people more successful more qualified or more deserving than us. I just want to point out a couple of really simple things that I think might be helpful. This is a selective list. Matthew doesn't list every generation. He misses some people out. And there are loads of people who don't make it to this list because they're not in this family line that he's tracing. So Moses isn't here. He didn't make it. Joshua isn't here. It's in the Bible, by the way. I'm not showing you the whole Bible. I'm just showing you this list. Joshua didn't make it. Deborah, Samson, Isaiah, Nehemiah, Ezra, they're not in the list. They're important people. They did good stuff. They served God. They were part of God's plan, but they're not in this list. And we can look at some of these guys and we can rule ourselves out and say, I wouldn't make it to God's list. Well, they didn't either in this particular list. But you're part of the plan. We're all part of the plan. There is always someone more successful. Always. Whatever you do, there's always someone who comes along and does it better. You only have to look at something like athletics, where you can be outstanding, win a gold medal, set a world record, and it's just a little while longer, sometimes a long while, before someone comes and breaks the record, but break the record, they will. It happens, doesn't it? There's there's not many... 40, 50, 60 year old world records around. It's not many longer than that because someone comes and breaks and there's always someone who does something better. And some of us are so limited by other people's success, we see them shining and glorious and we feel insignificant and dull by comparison and so we back off fearing that we're not as good as them. Of course, you're not going to be as good as the best. There's always going to be someone better. But that's not what God's expecting. God's asking us to play our part in his plan. There is always someone more qualified. Jules was talking earlier about qualifications. and 
Interesting. David does make it to the list. He was on that slide before. But you know, when he was chosen, there were others better suited. There were others more qualified. There were others taller, stronger, better looking. Saul, the previous king, was a head, head taller than everybody else. Must have been great finding him in a crowd, mustn't it? Go shopping with Saul. Oh, there he is. He's the one whose head's poking out above the crowd. Easy. David wasn't like that. David was a younger guy who, who you wouldn't have picked and Samuel nearly didn't pick. But he only did because he was listening to God. There's always someone more qualified. There is always someone more deserving. And if I'm honest, some of them on this list are rogues. This isn't a list of goodies. Some of, this list, some of the, on this list are awful. And they were far from God. But God, despite their sin, despite what they were doing, was still working out his purposes. Because he's bigger than your sin. God is bigger than your biggest sin. He's not scared of it. He's not afraid of it. He calls you out of it. Calls you to live no longer in sin and to live for him, to to come close and to draw near and to be radically changed, but he's not scared of it. There is always someone who's struggling less than you. There's always someone who fits your expectations of what a perfect Christian is better. I've, I've mentioned this before. You will have noticed, I'm sure. But, but this, this list of names is radical. It's radical for the first century Jew, Jewish mind because it includes the names of four women. It includes the names of four women who, whose names shouldn't have been here, but they're included by Matthew. Included because the gospel is an inclusive message. The, the gospel comes and changes social order and it changes and disturbs the pattern. And, and this list includes women. And, and some of them are, are colorful characters. They're, they're not included because they're all nice. There's a prostitute in this list. There's, people who, there's a woman who wasn't even from Israel in this list. There's, there's people who, do you know? But God includes them. And he says, you're welcome. I need you to be part of what I'm doing. I need you to know me and make me known. God's plan always brings salvation. Always involves people. And God keeps appearing to people. Let me wrap this up by just looking at how we respond to God's plan. I think it's really simple. But sometimes the simplest things are the hardest to do. You know, because I think we're quite good at doing complex things. I think we're quite good. If I said to you, right, there's 17 things you need to do to be part of God's plan. Uh, And they're all quite complicated. You go, right, at least I've got something to get working on. It's like that detail thing when God says, come, I'm the plan. We're better at doing the detail than we are at coming to him. So, let's have a look, simply. Let's recap. The plan is God. God's plan involves us, knowing him and making him known. And that plan involves knowing God now. Intimacy with God now. Not just doing stuff for him, but living with him now. For some, it may be your first time in church and all this may be unknown. 
I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm going to call you to start this journey today. To start the journey today of saying yes to God. Yes, I want to follow you. And if that's you, you can today decide to follow Jesus and discover that you can too can be part of his plan. But for many of us in this room, this isn't the first time. When I start talking about intimacy with God or or dwelling with God or being with him or knowing him, we're remembering times in our past. And if my life is here now, we, we might... I'm trying not to fall off the stage. We might be remembering a time here in our, in our past where we're thinking, thank you for the sound effects. That's very helpful at that point. Where we're thinking, you know, I, I remember what it was like when I knew God here. I had a great experience and encounter with God here. That was just precious. But we're just aware that it's a little while ago. And some of us are remembering a time back here when we talk about the times of intimacy we've known and some of you known God's calling. We'd go back this many years. We'd say, oh yeah, I remember when. Such a defining moment in my life. I heard from him, met with him, I knew I was part of his plan. Some of us would go back further. My encouragement to us is that we don't have to go back at all. You see, for some of us, we feel like we're cycling back round again. We're going back again to how things used to be. We've got to rediscover how things were, and I've got to go back to a childhood or a youth or a young adult experience and go, oh, let me recapture this. If only we had this around us again. If only we could sing, Jesus, we'd celebrate your victory again. And I could be in that tent and jump out. And if only we could. We don't have to go back. Because God's plan is right now. It's right here. It's in this place. It's in your life today. You don't need to wait until Christmas Day. You don't need to wait until the quiet days after Christmas. But today, God's plan is for us to know him. Right now, we can respond. We can start today in carving out space and making Jesus central. We can choose to celebrate it with him at the center. My encouragement to you today is to start living for Jesus today. I'm increasingly frustrated in potential. I can't remember who I was having the conversation with recently. We were talking about potential. And they referenced a quote from John Wimber, which I've forgotten, but it was brilliant. So there you go. That's really good, isn't it? You have to look it up. But it was about how he hates potential. Something like that. And I got the point. Because so many of us have potential, but don't do anything with it. Too many people go to the grave with potential. And and nothing happened. There's people sitting in nursing homes today and care homes today who had loads of potential and there's no outlet for that anymore for some. There is still it in in care homes and nursing homes for many. But for some it's too late. And for all of us as the years go by, it's no good hanging on to potential and going, well, I could do one day. One day I'll... Because what you'll see is other people taking your place and doing the things that God put on your heart to do. And it's not about being the best at it, because you're not. And it's not about being the most qualified to do it, because you're not. And it's not about being the most in love with God, because you're not. There's someone whose passion looks like it's more burning than yours. It's just about saying, God, you've got a plan. And I think your plan involves me. And I want to play my part. God, I'm on my knees again today, saying, I want you, I want to to know you and I want to make you known. 
help me. That's it. That's a starting point for today. I wonder if we can pray in just a moment. You see, I, I want us to, to respond to Jesus. To respond to his call. To love him and live for him. To get our names in that list. I wonder if I could have the band back on the stage. I know Steve's gone. Guys, can you come up, please? We don't have a guitar. It's fine. Just come up. Luis, I need you on keyboard, please. Can we just play our stand with arms high and heart band? We're just going to play our stand. I'd like us just to pause before God and be quiet. And then I'd like us to simply sing that song. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. If you have the words up for that open. It doesn't really matter if you stand or sit or kneel. Because the response that's required is from our hearts. The response that's required is to the one who has a plan and who is the plan and who's calling us to walk with him and to know him. Jesus. Holy Spirit, we pray you'd help us in this moment to thankfully and gratefully respond to you. God, I thank you that you don't write us off. And Lord, in those times when we've got somewhere and it hasn't looked like we thought it would, you've not written us off, but you've still got a plan. God, I thank you that when it feels like we've lived far from you and we've failed you and we've let you down, you've still got a plan. God, I thank you that in Jesus we're following the man with a plan. I thank you, Lord, that we can delight ourselves in you and know you. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't wait until Christmas Day to celebrate what you've done, to celebrate your plan. We wouldn't wait until the gap between Christmas and New Year to get on our knees and say, oh God, thank you, we can finally breathe again. But that today we might recognize our need of you. And come. Thank you, Lord, that you welcome us to be part of your plan. Lord, I pray for anybody here where the gap between our present experience and those moments where we knew you well has become more than a day, more than a week, more than a month. Lord, for anybody in that situation, Lord, I pray that as we come to you today, And tomorrow and the next day, Lord, you would meet with us and we would be renewed in you. In Jesus' name.